0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and over there in Sussex, proudly wearing his free Daily Star Dominic Cummings mask, is football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Good morning, Kieran. Are you Are going to keep the mask on for the
1: whole thing? Um... I, I, I don't think so I, 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 I think you'd like to see the nuances of my face And, and I might put you off otherwise your face,
0: doesn't, your face doesn't move I'd give all the nuance in this podcast I, think be, I just think it'd be funny Hats off to the Daily Star If we all had to wear Dominic Cummings masks now, If it turned out they were the best antidote to infection That'd be wonderful 58 million Dominic Cummings travelling up and down the country Now, we do have some big stories to get through uh, and we're a little bit late because you've been doing some highbrow legal stuff, haven't you? Some... I've,
1: I've been talking to the boys from uh, Law in Sport, so I'm, I'm a guest on one of their mm-hmm. panels, which which for a ragged ass kid from the Elephant and Castle was quite intimidating, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that one goes. Well,
0: from what I can gather, your family knows quite a lot about the law, but not necessarily from their point of view. Uh, uh, but, um, uh, uh, um, now, first of all, the, the Women's Super League and Championship seasons have been scrapped. Was this... Um, a difficult decision for them to make financially? Obviously, we know there's nowhere near as much money washing around their women's football as men's football.
1: Um, I, I don't think they had much of an alternative. Uh, if, if you take a look at the WSL, nearly all the clubs there are losing between half a million to a million pounds a year. The only way that matches could have taken place would have been is if the players were were being tested. So clearly that would have increased the costs. Um so so they've made the decision to to abandon the top two leagues. However, they've not decided yet in terms of the Women's FA Cup. So that's currently reached the quarter-final stage. So we could have sort of one of these sort of mini one-week competitions taking place. But of course, it would mean that the players would, would have to have some form of training before that occurs. Um, you know, yeah. But uh, there's the opportunity there to get decent TV audiences you know, in, a, in a concentrated competition. Um, my, my concern with women's football is that the senior clubs, you know, the men's clubs that effectively are subsidizing the women's team, they're all looking at ways to cut back on costs. And mm. yeah, w- women's, women's football could potentially look vulnerable. Um, they've, they've not made a decision as to how to end the season. It's, it's one of these really awkward positions that uh, that Manchester City are top, Chelsea are mm. second, uh, one point behind, but with the game in hand. Yeah, so under those circumstances, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't make a right decision. Uh, but from financially, I, I think it's probably a sensible decision. M- my concern is... The, the game you know it, it'''s it 's it's, it's making a lot of progress, um, and clearly this is going to be a step back
0: uh, for new listeners, we should clarify that, that they were losing between a half million and a million under normal circumstances weren 't they that 's not as a result of the current crisis is it
1: that 's correct i mean you know, there is there is now professionalism in the game uh, it, it is an opportunity for for women to have a career as, as players, which is great or, you know full time careers so so that 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 's really positive um but in in terms of generating income it mm. it was still struggling um in terms of match day income in particular. They were starting to get national sponsors they're starting to get local sponsors as well mm. uh but the but the match day income has been a bit of a problem it it's it
0: 's a real shame because as you say, the national game, both here and in America especially has been getting a much bigger profile but and domestically it it taken Probably longer than they hoped to to start to get some impetus, but that had that had begun that process. People were starting to go to to football fans. you know, Palace fans would become interested in in the ladies team, and and they were a really good alternative if Palace were away or weren't playing. And it it, it seems to me that this will be a setback for for women's football in terms of it, it's going to be quite difficult to to for f- fans of the men's game to get enough confidence to go back into crowds. Uh, although on the other hand, with with the women's game having smaller crowds and being mainly at non-league grounds, then it might be that there's more space here and people will be
1: happier to go back to to see women's football. Yeah, and I think we've got we've got to be led here by the, by the health, yeah, of health, health directives, um, and, and take it from there. Uh, s- certainly, there were some you know, significantly big crowds uh, either taking place or were expected. Um, I, I know one of the guys that works at Everton, and what what they were saying is that because we've now got Everton and Liverpool, Manchester United and Manchester City, yep. you've got Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, mm. and West Ham. Um, some of those local rivalries were were certainly sparking interest and, and mm-hmm. generating additional walk-up fans. In particular, you would say, "Well, I'm I'm a little bit reserved. Perhaps I wouldn't go to a game normally, but hey, you know, it's we're Liverpool. We're playing Everton today." Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm Liverpool. Let, let's let's go and give this a try. So, it, it is a it is a step back, and it, and it must be very frustrating for all of those people that have invested so much yeah. of their time to date.
0: Now, Kieran, we know football fans, so we know that there would there would have been pessimistic Newcastle fans anxiously worrying about the takeover and thinking, "Well, this is not going to happen." And I don't think even the most pessimistic Geordie would have expected piracy to be involved in the story because it. it it's hit. A, it's it's hit a major snag. The takeover of Newcastle United hasn't it, for a rather odd reason.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, this this issue ha- it has been raised. Um, uh, the The World Trade Organization, the WTO, has uh, apparently, and this is a report in the Guardian, has apparently reached a conclusion that the the pirate uh, TV station, which is called Be Out Q. Um, which is operating in the Middle East um, is under the influence of Saudi Arabia, um, and, and clearly the Saudi Arabian PIF, the investment fund, uh, is is the senior partner in respect of the proposed takeover of of Newcastle United. So this is so. It's just to clarify, Kevin. So this is a,
0: a a TV company that are illegally showing Premier League matches in the Middle East. Is that correct? Th- that's
1: right. Um, and you know. From an outsider's perspective, it looks like it's an extension of the Cold War that's presently existing between Qatar, which uh, whose, whose national broadcaster Bayin has the rights for the Middle East, and Saudi Arabia. I mean, they, they were practically at war a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so this was a way of uh, you know, potentially fighting back, if if these allegations are correct, Um what we're now looking at is: Are there any genuine links between the the people involved in the piracy and the the people bidding for uh, Newcastle United? Clearly, the the bidders, uh, PIF, say, well, it's nothing to do with us. Their lawyers will be going along that track, and the the Premier League is is having to make that final decision. Uh, you know, there had been rumours uh, before these revelations yesterday. That uh, a final decision would be made this week, and it, and it looked as if there, it, it, you know sort of the, the thumbs up had taken place, uh, the, the two parties have exchanged contracts, the deposit has been paid for Newcastle. I don't think the Premier League is going to rush through a decision whilst these allegations are going to be made.
0: We know from experience, Kieran, that fit and proper person tests are, are very rarely that there's, there's so much money involved here. My instinct is that the Premier League are going to be very unwilling. To to nod this through, on the basis of what they would probably see as a, a a matter of borderline illegality, a long long way away, aren't they? I mean, and it's it's, it's very common. Apart from the fact that the pirate radio station called themselves out against in, which was the real one, it, I, I think the Premier League, as we know, will will find an excuse if they can to to look the other way, won't they? Well, I mean, which they were perfectly willing to do with with
1: abuses of human rights in Saudi Arabia for the for a start. Yeah, because you know, rightly or wrongly, human rights have got nothing to do with the fit and proper person test. Right, uh, you know that 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 is very much a, a two tier test, and we've had this discussion before. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a criminal record, and do you have an un, unspent convictions, and do you have the resources to to fund the club? Now, on, on both of those, it would appear that the owners are in. Uh, you know have, have satisfied those particular rules um, the the criminality issue is the one which is now being questioned because if there are links between a pirate tv station and the owners clearly then the the the, the, the premier league itself which has made representations to various people in the middle east about this, they say yeah we're not happy it's uh it's damaging our relationship with our commercial with our broadcasting partner um, they they will be concerned. But yeah, Britain does have strong links with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, clearly, you know, if you look at British aerospace, there's a lot of jobs involved. Um, I, I suspect there could be geopolitical pressures coming in both directions.
0: Okay, now, if you're in Newcastle um, and you need your eyes testing, it's just a few short miles drive across the border. If you want to go 30 miles to make sure your eyes are working, just head for Scotland. And in Scotland, we've got three storeys... Um, in their own way very interesting big stories the first one um, from up there or over there if you're not in England Gordon Strachan who's a former Scotland manager and big comedy fan I have to say he'll be missing the Edinburgh Festival Um, now Gordon said too many of the country's senior clubs are not professional enough This now what I find interesting about this is I, I know Gordon reasonably well having worked with him uh, he's a very interesting chap he's a very decent chap he's got very passionate views about football but also he knows that if you raise your head above the parapet in Scotland it will never be forgotten and and he's had an awful lot of flack for for what he's saying so basically he said was how can you have professional football when most of the clubs are not actually professional too many of the clubs are not bringing in enough uh, attendances too many of them haven't got an academy Scotland can't compete on the international stage while this is happening now is is there a particular catalyst for him saying this now or is this something that's been festering in Scottish football for quite some time
1: well well, well Scottish football always appears to be having some form of civil war and mm. and what we're seeing at present is how is the future of Scottish football going to take place uh, how many teams are involved so um there th- this is all linked to Um, the issues to abandon the league Um, and is there going to be a replacement are we going to move to a 14 14 14 approach is it going to be 12 12 12 10 what about clubs in the highland leagues uh, who have made progress and effectively won't be able to join um the scottish third division So, so there's a lot of unhappy people in in scottish football at present um and I think one of his comments that, you know, don't, don't just play at being a football club, be a football yep. club, was, yep. was one of the things which which has provoked a reaction. Um, and from my observation, um, remember we had Neil Doncaster on the show and he said of the 42 Scottish clubs, 14 are full-time professionals, the other... Mm-hmm. 28 um have uh are part-time again gordon strachan saying you're playing in front of 200 people you've got players who are on 80 quid a week and that club has the same vote as rangers and celtic and i say well i i can understand that but you and i democratically have a same vote at an election as a person who's a billionaire so, you know, what 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 is the purpose of of the SPFL? Um, you know, is it if it's supposed to be a democratic organisation, then whether you support Queen of the South or Celtic or Rangers or Dunfermline or whoever it's going to be, you know, it it is very much sort of the one team one vote uh, approach being taken place. Um I, I, th- I think his comments uh they, they seemed a little bit harsh because as you know, I I, I keep a spreadsheet <laughs> And I monitor the profitability of every single club um, in in both England and Scotland. And, and what we tend to see is that those clubs in the lower leagues in Scotland are actually quite good at breaking even. But you've got clubs in the um, in the top tier who are making significant losses. So in terms of being a professional organisation, surely one of your ambitions as a professional. Uh, a company regardless of the nature of it is that you should be trying to break even so it you know you could say here is that some of the smaller clubs are actually operating in a more sustainable manner than their more senior cousins Yeah, is your um is your case full of spreadsheets is it like the attaché case in pulp fiction
0: is like when it opens up there's a kind of golden glow i i i get a golden glow from it certainly well of course yeah do, do you know just on democracy before the last Palace home game before lockdown finished, I was talking to my my mate's 12-year-old daughter in the pub. Uh, 12-year-old daughters are allowed in the pub under special circumstances. But I was talking to my mate's 12-year-old daughter and we were talking about voting and she came up with this brilliant idea and she said that she couldn't wait to vote, but she said that she thought between the ages of 18 and 30, your vote should count twice because you were going to live longer to see the impact of what was... and. It's, it kind of made a room full of middle-aged men feel rather well old. But also, it's, I thought it was quite a good idea. Young people, should their vote should count more. Um, the, the thing that stuck out with me with Gordon's comment, which again is is one that has been picked on, when he was quite scathing about the Premier League as, as well. And as you say, once you get beyond the, the, the top two and then maybe Aberdeen and a couple of other clubs, and he talked about the product. And he said, if you if you think that watching two teams... Play long ball football on a plastic pitch in front of a thousand people is good for the Scottish Premier League and for the wider view of football around the world. Then you, you you've got you're wrong essentially. Which, again, coming from him. It's a slightly reckless thing to say because, like you said, the, the Scottish press are not—they're not gentle about these issues, are they?
1: No, no. I, I read—I um, read the Scotsman this morning at about six o'clock to try to yeah. know, when I was researching the story, and I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people in Scotland ha- have. As as they are inclined to do, sort of taken quite a, a severe response to this, um, you know. And they're pointing out that uh, that Andy uh, Andrew Robertson, who's now at Liverpool, the, the Scotland ca- captain. Mm. You know, where did he start off his career? He started off at Queen of the South. So it, is is it is it still producing the lower league footballs? Is it still producing players? Yes, it is. Is it producing a high number of high quality players? No, it isn't. But then you could say the same of the national league here in in. Uh, in England, so uh, yeah, I, th- I think there are there are far broader issues in Scottish society in terms of education and health um, that have to be analysed before you can say that it's actually the clubs themselves which are the problem. I, I think they are a byproduct of their local environments. Well, also
0: we've talked about this before on the podcast. Is, is people talk about the influx of of overseas players in the in the nineties and two thousands affecting the England national team? Uh, I think the influx of European players into England affected Scotland more than it did England because in the decades before that, every Premier League or every First Division club would have three or four Scottish players. Most of the Scottish players in the Scotland team would be based at... England clubs, um, and and that simply disappeared. It, it, you know, if clubs could suddenly afford glamorous foreign players, they were going to look there for cheaper players than they were to Scotland. So, it, again, it's 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 interesting that Gordon said this now because he's he's aware of that context as well. Like you say, this is much more than a, a Scottish football thing. This is a Scottish society thing, and Scotland within European
1: and world society as well. Very much so, and and if you take a look at Scottish football, and I think we we discussed this on an earlier pod when we were looking at the the impact of the the proposed new regulations for players coming from the EU. Um, Scotland historically has been a, quite a popular destination if you are Scandinavian, if you're Central from European, and States. so on. Yeah, yeah, yep. and and what we might see um, as as a result of these rule changes is that it will be far more difficult for those players to to get a job in, in Scotland which will increase opportunities for the local players whether it will increase the quality of the football is is open to question
0: now kieran still in Scotland you mentioned this club actually Dunfermline Athletic every football fan listening to this will 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 understand that there are Clubs that we we don't, you know, I've just written a book about the fact you, you you support one club. I know this is, it's not directly aimed at you, Kieran, because I think we've worked out there's only three clubs you don't support. But we all have a soft spot for other clubs, and and Dunfermline Athletic, uh, are one I've always liked for a very simple reason that when I was a kid, I, I was somebody bought me a football annual and there was a picture of a Dunfermline player who was in so much agony after a tackle, he was biting through the shin pad of one of his teammates, and I just. As a kid, I thought this was the most amazing fact. So I've always looked out for Dunfermline Athletic athletics since. So I was slightly sad to hear this story because they've announced this week they're not in a position to offer new contracts to any of the players that are about to be out of contract. And by any, I mean 17. So they've got 17 players whose contracts are coming up for a renewal. None of them will be renewed, which it means if, if Scottish football were to come back quicker than we thought, they'd. They'd be unable to fulfil fixtures at the moment, basically, because it'll leave them with
1: nine professionals. Presumably, will it? That's right. I mean, uh, they'll be in a similar position to to what we saw in respect of Bolton Wanderers at the start mm. of uh, well, start of this season. And if you recall, Bolton started off with five nil defeat, followed by five nil defeat because they're putting out a bunch of kids because they couldn't employ professionals. So, um, it it is a genuine risk, uh, and I mean. I I'm I like you. I've got a soft spot for Dunfermline mainly because I'm a huge fan of the Skids, who are the <laughs> the, the, new game, sorry, the new wave game. So the new wave band, um, and I, I've been to see them many many occasions. And and, they, and they're from Dunfermline. And, and uh, Richard Jobson was was one of my heroes and still is. Um, have you met him? I, I, I I've tweeted to him and he responded, and that was it. That was it was it was, it was yeah. almost as good as meeting you I've in met terms him. of slip. Oh, have you? Yeah,
0: he's very handsome. He's a mo- he's well, he became a male model, didn't he? Yeah, he's a very he's, handsome man. Yeah, yeah. married a, married a friend of mine, and he's a friend of friend. Yeah, uh, nice he's, chap.
1: Well, I, I went to big the th- big accountancy fan.
0: Oh, I'm sure big big fan of
1: accountants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know on the last tour, because we're all now of a certain age, that it was actually a speaking tour interspersed <laughs> with songs. <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, there's nothing worse than seeing the UK subs advertised, not with original bassist. <laughs> so I went to see Chaz and Dave, and there's a big sign saying
1: not the original Chaz," which is Chaz basically just went to see Dave. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there is there is an issue, but you, you can understand it from the perspective of the club. Yeah. They don't know when their next pound's going to come through the turnstiles. Mm um and under that, those circumstances to offer players contracts is putting the the risk of the existence of the club yeah. very much at stake um so on on that basis um what they've done is is understandable but what I, I, I did go onto the dunfermline website this morning to again to do a bit of background to just to confirm that the data in terms of the story um yeah, they are still uh, they are still hoping to to continue. So you can now get a Dunfermline Athletic COVID nineteen face mask, which which oh, is okay. good news. Um, they have released their new kits for next season, even though they might not be playing. Yeah. Um, but most interesting of all, they've 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 produced lockdown whiskey, <laughs> and it's sold out. Of so I think that shows it the priorities could. of Scottish fans. Of, of course it has. Yeah, you said that, not me. It's
0: um. I have mixed feelings about this. The next story we're coming on to, I have even more mixed feelings about The thing with It strikes me that Dunfermline have done the right thing in terms of securing their club's future, but it means you've got 17 more footballers that are looking for a job in, in a market that's already going to be full of players. I mean, there's going to be a lot of players whose contracts expire at clubs in the next week or two, looking for, and there simply won't be enough clubs able to take them on so you, you know we, you, one feels for anybody who's lost as we have in our house work through this but you know footballers work so hard all their lives to become footballers and then to be victims of these sort of circumstances my heart does bleed a little now this this next story I do generally have mixed feelings about this story this Livingston story because part of me thinks it's funny and part of me thinks it's tragic now Normally, as a comedian, the funny bit always overrides the tragic. I'll go for the laugh first and then apologise afterwards because I've upset somebody. But Livingston are in a similar situation to Tom Furman. They can't afford to renew every player's contract. Some players are having their contracts renewed. Some are being released. So what they've done, they've put a poll out on Twitter to see whether their fans want the goalkeeper to have his contract renewed. Now, because I leave the research to you, because I like to be surprised, brackets, a little bit lazy, um... I don't know whether this is one of those things where if, for example, two years ago Palace tweeted out, should we keep Julian Speroni, They did so in confident in the knowledge that every Palace fan would go, hell yeah. So I don't know whether this guy is so popular that they know it's a kind of academic exercise or whether they're genuinely risking humiliating a young man by deciding whether or not to extend his contract by Twitter. And also on a, on a serious note, I, the legality of this is kind of, interesting isn't it if he's got one of your silver-tongued lawyers who's going to be saying this is not entirely you know in terms of employment law I'd with my HR hat on I'd be very reluctant to terminate someone's
1: contract on the basis of Twitter yeah I I, I think there is more to this than than meets the eye
0: I gathered as much when even when I was being facetious about it I did gather as much Kieran but you know Um, you're the serious grown-up one (laughs)
1: Uh, I, I think that we, so we're dealing with their their goalkeeper Gary Mailey. Um I, I think this actually is linked to some of the recent votes which have taken place in terms of the future of Scottish football, which 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 we've discussed. Ah, okay. And I I, right. I I I get the the feeling because some Livingston fans have said, "Oh, it's a joke." Some say he's he was out of contract anyway, um, right. and, and things of this nature. Uh, so I, it, it looks as if it's linked to the nature of the votes which have been taking place on across a variety of issues. And Livingstone's are saying, well, yeah, if we're deciding Scottish football, if we're deciding who gets promoted and relegated on a vote, let's just take it a stage further and right. well, the, okay. the Twitter become the Coliseum in terms of the thumbs up or thumbs down so I, I think the jo- I think it's a joke at our expense because we don't understand the the, the intricacies of Scottish right. football um you know I think from his point of view uh, the vote was was positive um from when, when I was last monitoring mm-hmm. it I did vote myself to to protect his job um because because it's the right thing to do and, you, know, you don't want to see a young anybody you lose there's the jobs as we just said um so yeah it, it's it's a complex one but uh, you know, it it does raise an interesting issue in that if if football clubs are going to try to to use crowdfunding or alternative means of of generating income, you know, is is this one which they might consider? You know, mm. you, you you pay a premium rate uh, tweet uh, f- phone line and, and you text in and you you give money to the clubs for protecting particular players' contracts and so on. So uh, we're we're entering uh well we're, we're operating in very strange times i was looking at our broth uh yesterday which uh the the the, the red lixies i think they're known mm. as uh, and they look at absolutely fantastic ground it's right on the banks of the north sea um and uh they they are doing uh buy a brick to to save the club oh, okay. you know because because so different clubs using different methods and uh they are being as innovative as they can, mm. and we, and we, you know nobody in their right nobody who's a football fan wants any club to get out of a business, of even if you biggest his rivals, you know, because yeah because I, th- I think none of us are that that mean spirited yeah. there 's no doubt that Scottish
0: clubs have better nicknames than we do they they're way ahead of us in terms of nicknames. The Blue Brazils is my favorite Cowden beef, which is one of the best nicknames in football i 'm glad you were able to put some some context on that, Kieran because i my my instinct was I was I found it slightly distasteful that a young man's future was potentially being decided by by social media. But I'm glad you were able to explain the reasons why that was happening. Now Man United, of course, um are in the news because they're still sulking with you because of your VAT revelations. Yes, you may well pull that innocent face, young man. Um now they've waived outstanding loan fees for three of their players this week, which saves three clubs a combined one hundred and thirty thousand pound. Is this a generous gesture on their part, or is it simply they don't want these loan players back on their wage bill?
1: Um, no, no. I, I, you know, my view on any club and any decision they make is that you know we we will praise the good stuff and we will criticise the stuff which we're not so impressed by. So, you know, here, credit to Manchester United. They, they've they got players on loan at, uh, at Bolton, Burton and Hearts. And effectively, what, what you do is you know, a loan... We, we tend to think of a you know, Historically, I always thought the loan was... You, you, the player just went there. Yeah, of course. But... What we are seeing more and more of, especially when um, that the, the the parent club is from the Premier League, is that they will say, "Well, hold on, we're actually going to charge you a rental fee for the season for the player," um, and and that can be substantial. If you take a look at Philip Coutinho at Bayern Munich last season, um, I think the the loan fee was was nine million pounds. So you know, we we're not, we're not talking uh, we're not talking small sums. Um, what, what United have done, and, and I think they should be commended for this, is they said that we are aware of the financial challenges which are existing in the EFL and Scottish football and therefore we are simply going to say thanks but no thanks yes contractually you due to pay us 130,000 pounds for for these three players but yeah you know, as as a goodwill gesture um we're going to d- decline it um because we'd we'd rather you survive and, and you know, hats off to them and you know, mm, good doft and so on
0: yeah, I don't know if you saw Bayern Munich last night, but my word, they looked a good team. It's, we wrote, have I got news for you yesterday? Obviously by Zoom, but um, the three of us made a corporate decision to start a bit earlier so we could finish early enough to to break off and watch this, um, Dortmund Bayern. Um, and what a good game it was. Now, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that that's a generous gesture from from Man United, because um, this is a definitely a generous gesture from one of their players. Marcus Rashford, this is brilliant, has been given an award for helping to raise £20 million for a charity called Fair Share, who have been providing nearly three million children with free meals during this crisis. Now, leaving aside those absolute pricks, who, of course, on social media have been saying, well, what was that, a week's wages, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to mention this because he's just one of many footballers and we talk about this a lot and I think it's important to stress this. He's just one of many footballers who are are doing, not just during this but before that, who are doing decent things, helping local communities and I'm pleased that this has been getting the publicity it deserves particularly when right at the start of this crisis Matt Hancock did the classic dropping the dead cat on the table and saying what about uh, footballer salaries? basically hinting that they should be paying for PPE. So this is just one example of many. I don't don't particularly want to discuss it. I just want people to know that Marcus Rashford has been an extraordinary, generous young man has helped children to eat during this crisis.
1: That's right, and also, you know, Marcus has been very open uh, in terms of his upbringing and the struggles that his his mum had, um, and the sacrifices that are being made, and and he knows what it's like. You know, he's he's seen people in his family go without in order Mm -hmm. to provide for him. Um, He wants to put something back. He's he's certainly been the face of this campaign, Um, and and he's been able to use his status to to get other people to join in as well. and so many footballers are doing so many things of this nature you know even footballers who historically people have had a huge dislike for you know craig bellamy's done mm. amazing work uh, in terms of uh, you know assisting kids and, and things of this nature many footballers come from um, you know, traditional working class backgrounds. They okay. they they know what it's like to see their parents struggle to make ends meet, and I think that there is too much of a perception just because you. Have, earn a large amount of money that you have no social or moral compass mm. um I, I've taught a few footballers I've taught many ex-footballers and I've got to say universally that has never been the case in my observation mm. um you know i'm I'm in awe of them because you know they're you know fo- they're, they're footballers you know, they're, yeah they um a- and they they but they're not they are they are sons and brothers and husbands and boyfriends and so on and I think this mm. is something which is so easy to forget. Because sometimes some of them act a bit daft. Um, but when I was when I was in my twenties, I was a freaking idiot.
0: I, I listen. Even as you said that, I I could hear twenty five thousand people listening to this pod, podcast going, "Hello, Mister Pot." <laughs> some of a bit, constantly. Not only do you act daft, but you tell us about it on Twitter. Just, it, that's what I keep saying. In every every. <laughs> Every, at least once a day, Ali will say to me, why are you saying indoor voice? Because every time I see one of your tweets about past misdemeanors, I just go, indoor voice, Kieran, indoor voice. <laughs> um, on a serious note, um, and congratulations to Marcus Rashford and, and to all those players that are doing good work. Um, is chairman, Phil Wallace, uh, says there is, and I quote, absolutely no integrity whatsoever in the AFL board's recommendation to finish the league this season, uh, League Two, especially, um, and, and as his club sit, at the bottom of League Two, I suppose you would say he would say that, wouldn't you?
1: Well, I, I think his, uh, his his displeasure was that the, the clubs themselves voted to, or the League Two clubs took a vote to finish the season and to have no relegation. And it would now appear that the EFL board um, want to have no finish to the season, but to have relegation. So clearly... So clearly that is where he's coming from. Um, And I I think the the rationale of the EFL board is that if they set a precedent of having no relegation from League Two, that could be seized upon by the Mm. Premier League who would say, well, we're going to take exactly the same approach and have no relegation. um, And therefore we might not have any promotion from the championship as well. So this is very much, I think, the, the... The the EFL board trying to protect the opportunities for um, championship clubs to be promoted, and there's been all types. I mean, there's a today we're recording this show today on the Wednesday. There's a meeting taking place of Premier League clubs today. We we might have some white smoke. We might have some progress made uh, in in terms of what their plans are, but um, you know everybody will be operating to a degree of self interest, as we are seeing across uh, all the leagues universally. I I suppose as well, whatever outcome,
0: I mean, it it does seem to me to be very unfair to not play football and relegate a team. But it does seem to me whatever outcome, some teams will be harshly done by. But it's easier for me to say that because I support a club that's relatively comfortably mid-table and probably won't be getting relegated, whatever decision is made. If, If I was a Stevenage fan, I imagine my my view would be less philosophical. But it it does seem to me that there are going to be victims in this. And as we've said before, the important thing is that as long as the clubs still exists, it, what, what division they're playing in is maybe less important. And, and I, I, I'm fully aware that there will be people who support teams at the bottom of divisions or at the top of divisions who may not get promoted, who are angry with me, and I understand that. But it, it does seem to me that the, the important thing is keeping football going wherever you're actually playing the football
1: yeah um, and i and, and think is with stevenage is that they won't be in the football league next season yeah. if, if if this goes through so you can see it from their perspective um yeah Tranmere rovers this morning have come out with a sort of statistically based approach to f- finishing the season in league one yeah that'll be debated amongst other things um you can understand, if, if, for example, you're a Charlton fan. Charlton dropped into the bottom three of the championship for the first yeah, time yeah, yeah, yeah. the weekend before yeah. we stopped playing football. Um, and also, you and I both, have, we've, we've watched football for you the know, best part of 100 years between us. And um, if th- there has never been a case where the bottom three teams or the bottom four teams after 37 games are the bottom four teams after 46 or 42 games or 38, whatever it's going to be. Um, because if if that was the case, you might as well finish the season yeah, after nine yes, months. Yes, yeah. um, everybody loses form, gains form, has a controversial decision. And that's part of the wonder of the game. Um, so you can understand people feeling sore, Yo, know, uh, I've seen Dara McAntony, the Peterborough chairman. I, he and I had a, a chat, shall we say, on Twitter, <laughs> um, in, in respect of you know, He he thought that that the uh, that League One could be finished for two hundred and fifty grand per club, and I'm going well. I, you know, I've 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 got a spreadsheet which suggests Absolutely. that might not be the case, uh, but but uh, uh, so you know, he wants to finish because his side are in. The potential place of a playoff. So there's nothing wrong with saying I'm operating yeah. in self-interest. Um It's when people deny it and start to go, this yeah, is for the yeah. integrity of the game. No, they, they, yeah, let let let's yeah. let's just be grown ups in terms of this yeah, discussion. Um,
0: and talking of grown ups, can you never mention again that we've probably watched football between us for there's, there's a hundred years? Let's let's draw a veil <laughs> over because it's. <laughs> I had a momentary lapse into depression. and even while you were answering that question, I just thought, oh "My God, he's all right." Um, also, I can think of at least two seasons. You're right to say that normally, by you know March, bottom three are not settled. I can think of at least two seasons when, by December, we were pretty much relegated. So, it, it can happen. But you're absolutely right, and I think you know the games in hand thing muddies the waters. And that you say. It would be heartbreaking for Charlton. But there again, you could argue You know, the clubs have been relegated after not being in the bottom three all season until the last game of the season. So, you know, unfortunately, there's no easy answer, which is why we keep doing this pod every week, which is great. Now, Arsene Wenger. There's, I don't think we've ever actually mentioned Arsene Wenger on this pod, which is a, a shame because I'm a big admirer. He's now head of football development at FIFA. Um, and he said... And I'm surprised this hasn't got more publicity. He said financial fair play needs to be reformed. So two questions, why and how?
1: Well, yeah, because historically, Arsene Wenger has been one of the biggest critics of clubs such as PSG and Manchester City. Yeah. Um, I think he was one of the first people to coin this phrase, financial doping mm. um, and things of this nature. Um the reason why he's made his comments is that he, he's said that financial fair play preserves the rights of the historic big clubs and is effectively anti-competitive. Um, it discourages people to come in in terms of investment. And And the one thing which I think we can universally say with regards to football at present, it has never needed financial support more than ever before. So if you've got an artificial barrier to uh, a club progressing um, in terms of being able to achieve success. And, and that's what financial fair play does, because it whilst it's not a, a de facto wage cap, it, it does act as a wage cap by limiting the, your overall spending. Um, then you can see his, his point of view. Uh, I think he's made his comments in the light of the Newcastle takeover, because what the the Newcastle owners presumably would like to do would be to have a a blank cheque, to be able to recruit players and a management team that will accelerate their their position in the table, so that they can be competing for Champions League places and the glamour and all of the things that come along with it. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I, he he has in, he did in 2017 uh, sort of intimate something of a similar nature, but now he, he's come out. Um, you know, my view of financial fair play is that um, it, it reinforces the existing gaps between clubs, and it. And whilst it doesn't make a Leicester City impossible, it makes it far less possible for that to happen again. Again, if you go back to when we were kids or we we were young, uh, I can remember Derby County, Leeds United, Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa, Everton, all winning the top division.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that ain't going to happen again, is it? And that's partly due to the fact that the lack of democratisation of money distribution in football um, doesn't take place.
0: Yeah, well, uh, even in the FA Cup, I think Wigan are the only team outside the top six to win the FA Cup in recent memory. And again, that was a competition that you would expect many clubs to be able to win. Uh, has he sort of put any meat on the bones as to how he'd like to see it reformed, or is he just wants it reformed?
1: He, he he's effectively said that um, investors should be able to invest, right? Um, so now, whether that means we have some form of you know escrow account that if you're going to spend money above x million then you've got to put it into a central fund which could then be distributed amongst smaller clubs you know there there, there are ways and means in which more than one club can benefit from investment by a high net worth individual or a uh, you know sovereign wealth fund or things of this nature
0: yeah okay i'm just making a mental note to google escrow because that was a that was a that was a very good explanation kieran but it, was, it went in a in a second um the last time I heard that used was in uh, The Simpsons, I believe, who also used the word tontine, which is a financial word which I had to look up, um, which basically means last one standing gets the anyway, Um Now, our final question. Um, you know, I like our producer. I, I do generally like our producers. I, I, you know, I like most producers. I just I'm quite surly about the need to actually be in work, to be perfectly honest. Uh, most things would get made without them. is is my view. This this pod is is an exception. Guy, it's his idea. He, he put us together. It's a great. But and, and for the most part, when Guy sends me the questions, I go, yeah, good. That's an interesting question. This is the first time I've ever had to say to guy, is this wise asking this question? Because I I knowing you as I do, basically. <laughs> um, South Korea. We're going to South Korea. Uh, FC Seoul. Uh, football came back in the K League, behind closed doors obviously. FC Seoul have been fined for filling some of the empty seats with inflatable sex dolls. And the inflatable sex doll industry being what it is, most of them were women, which of course led to a lot of jokes about inflatable toilets. Um, There's been plenty of jokes about Kyle Walker wanting to sign for FC Seoul. Etc. And plenty of jokes about shouting going down at inflatable fans. But is is this the most unusual thing a club's ever been fined for? I know the pornography. I mean, is is technically illegal in, in South Korea. Um, it, it, it's. I mean, it looked. It was. It did look rather sinister as we. I saw the footage last week, and it it did look odd. And and quite clearly, the sex dolls also had adverts for a pornography company on them on them, which I think is one of the reasons the fine has been. But it, it's a, it's a strange story, and and I, I'm I'm, I'm I'm rambling because I'm just, just trying to. I just, I don't, I, you know. For the, as far as I know, you've never taught in South Korea, but I suspect
1: I might be about to hear that that's wrong. I just... um, no, I, I have, I have never taught in South Korea, but as you know, I used to manage a sex shop, um, so, so I, I do, I do have a vested interest in this, um, and, and I, I, I suspect. Can you please, for the love of, for the love
0: of God, tell people why you were managing the sex shop?
1: Um, Well, I, I was I I, dra- I graduated from university and and I was unemployed, um, and one of my mates was running it, and he said I'm I'm going off on a I'm going off for a couple of months, going off on holiday. Would Would you mind running it for me? And I said fine. So I, I mean, you could say I was the relief manager. Boom, boom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but um... I, w- I, I I wish I had. Do you know what? Because this got
0: mentioned very early on in this pod. And I've been telling people, because that's one of the many things they want to know about the Blackpool Nightclub, obviously, but I've been telling people, did he, did he manage the sex shop? And I say, no, no, only because it was in administration and he was the accountant who had to administer it. And now it turns out that, no, you just willingly managed the sex shop for quite some... Was It wasn't in Brighton, was
1: it? Yeah, it was in Brighton. Uh, okay. so, right. so, yeah, right. so it was in Brighton. Um, but the thing was... Uh, as you know, I, I I like you come from a, from an Irish Catholic family, mm. uh, and uh, so I told my mum I was unemployed and I was going out looking for work. You can't you can't go and tell your mum who's, who's who's of course never never more than two feet away from a set of rosary beads that, that you're, you're running a, a house of of ill repute. Um so yeah I I I did that and and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting industry but not really linked to football finance I guess and I and I took a 50% pay cut to become a chartered accountant so so I was on 150 pounds a week and I dropped down to 75 pounds a week to train to be a chartered accountant in uh, in 83
0: that that explains a lot about your personality you willingly left the sex shop to become a char I I there's there's all sorts of spreadsheet jokes that I'm not going to not going to do but um I I mean it is a funny story but it it's it, have they fined them because they were sex dolls or because of the 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 advertising on them
1: well it's it's actually a record fine for a for a south korean club so I think it's the magnitude of the fine which I think uh, took I think it's right. uh, it's 100,001 um and uh, uh yeah I I think it was the view was that we're supposed to have a family audience watching this, and, yeah. and clearly, it, 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 it's the equivalent of, of an Ofcom fine because um, I I got into trouble um, a few weeks ago. Uh, as, as you know, my my bookshelf is is over my my right shoulder, yes. Um, and I'm I'm a big fan of Viz uh, magazine, mm. and I had the Fat Slags annual on view whilst I was talking to ITN, and, and they said it was inappropriate, which which I think is uh, is unfair because to me that's that is. Classic seaside English humour.
0: Um, I, th- I think you need to add the other detail, which was that you also had your own book prominently displayed on the bookshelf. As well, it wasn't just it wasn't just a <laughs> yeah. I think that was part of the reason they gave you a mild slap on the wrist as well. I said, "Do you know what? I'll, we'll have to have a part. I've done things. I've done things, but you know, you, you've been told off by Ofcom, Man United." I've been reported to various people. <laughs> it's just... Anyway, um, I'm glad that we managed to end up on a Korean uh, inflatable sex doll football story because it'll probably be the last time it happens. Um, uh, I noticed as well that the guy, the producer, has clearly got the hump with me for uh, teasing him about the amount of things I have to say at the end because basically he's just put goodbye at the bottom of it. The... <laughs> 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 so, so all the things I have to say about it being an adaptive production and leave, they've all gone. So um, thank you for listening uh, to The Price of Football with me, Kevin Day, and uh, (laughs) animal, Kieran Maguire. Uh, Now, next pod will be on Monday, and of course, the Monday is our questions. Uh, So if you have questions for us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. We have a bit of breathing space these days, so feel free to ask elaborate questions if you want. We had some very complicated questions last week, but they led to really interesting answers um, and a good response. So and feel free to ask questions that uh, you think are simple, and, and don't be at all afraid to ask questions that you think are idiotic, because basically they won't be as idiotic as any of the questions I've asked Kieran, because if you don't know the answer, you don't know the answer, do you? So feel free to ask us whatever question you want. Um, perhaps best leave inflatable sex dolls for a little while, but you know anything else. Um, and some of the questions, if they're about Kieran, won't get read out. I think I, I, there will be disappointed people listening week in, week out going, hang on a second, we well, still hasn't answered that question I asked about. What? Never mind. Um, and, we'll, yes, Kieran, I'll see you on... <laughs> sorry, I'm going to have to stop looking at you, Kieran, now. I'm sorry. I'm getting embarrassed. I'll see, I'll see you on Monday. And, we, yes, we'll see you all. Have a safe weekend, everybody. Uh, take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. This is A-Cast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love.
1: This is Creepy, a collection of the most famous and disturbing stories and urban legends from the deepest, darkest corners of the web. Hosted by creator John Grills and a cast of creepy narrators. New stories added every Sunday. Listener discretion is advised. Listen free on your favorite podcatcher. Or find us at BloodyDisgusting.com/slash podcasts.
0: ACast is home to the biggest podcasts from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds
1: more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.